I also want to welcome all of you here, especially our brothers and sisters from East London. Amen. Great to have you guys here. If you're visiting us, then you also are our special, special guests. Um, you know, this time last week, there we go. Right, this time last week, uh, Nolene and I were enjoying breakfast at Chris's place. Um, after finishing the Transbavians race and having a few hours sleep, this was, this was, I think, the toughest event I've, I've ever done. And it's got nothing to do with the fact that I'm getting old. I don't want to hear that. Eh? But it was, it was tough because I started cramping after about um, 80 kilometers, which is really when you should just be warming up. And I cramped so badly at times that I had to get off the bike. I was cramping both legs, both sides, and all I could do was just stand next to my bike hoping I wouldn't fall over. Uh, that happened a few times, and I was trying to stretch my, my legs as I was riding, but for about 100 kilometers, I just experienced this, this bad cramp. And for a brief moment, I considered bailing. Uh, you know, as we came into one of the, the control points, the compulsory stops, I thought maybe I should just pack up. But I didn't think of that for very long because I had memory of this happening before. Uh, whenever I've done endurance events like, like Ironman and Trance before and so on to see, I've always cramped. Although not as badly as this. But what kept me going was the memory that if I do the, if I do the right things, if I take water, if I have more salt at the water points, over time the cramp is going to go. Without that memory of persevering through pain, I probably would have stopped. Now there's obviously spiritual um, lessons in that as well, isn't there? You know, we remember the times where our faith has been low, where we have struggled spiritually, where we have felt that we just can't be used by God in any way. But we remember, we should remember times when we've got through, you know, when we've got through it, when we have persevered. God, of course, knew the power of memory. You know, often we see him speaking to his people, um, in the Old Testament in particular, when he wanted to encourage Israel or bring them to repentance, he said, remember the great things I've done for you. Remember I brought you out of Egypt. Remember I was with you in the wilderness. Remember the law I gave you. Remember the great victories I gave you, gave you as you entered into the promised land. Memory is a very, very powerful force. And I'm going to get back to that uh, in a moment. But let's start in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 reads, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Sorry, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
You know, as we have learned this year, the Holy Spirit helps us in many ways to be disciples of Jesus. You know, to live a life that pleases God. You know, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit brings us to repentance. The Holy Spirit gives us new life in Christ. The Holy Spirit builds community. The Holy Spirit helps us have an intimate relationship with God. The Holy Spirit helps us understand Scripture. The Holy Spirit comforts us through trials. Now, the Holy Spirit gives us boldness and courage. He gives us discernment and self-control. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to love as Jesus loved. And Jason spoke about that last point last week. Now, but all of these activities of the Holy Spirit support his ultimate purpose, which is captured here in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Witnessing. The Holy Spirit's main purpose is to witness to Jesus, and to help us be an effective witness to Jesus. Now this is consistent with what Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, the evening before he was arrested. We read about that in John 15. You know, there Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit who would bear witness about him. And then he adds in John 15 verse 27, he adds, and you must also testify. The primary spirit of the Holy, sorry, the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness about Jesus and to equip his followers to bear witness about Jesus. No, to testify about the good news of Jesus. The, the overriding concern of the Holy Spirit is to shine the light on Jesus. You know, to point people to Jesus. So that's what we've been learning this year. And I'm super excited this morning. I always say that, but I really am super, super excited this morning to be starting a new series. Right? Under our Holy Spirit theme, this, this bigger theme that we're going to be involved in, I'm sure, for a couple of years still. We will be studying out the book of Acts, uh, which is the story of the phenomenal growth of the early church, heeding this call of Jesus to bear witness about him in the power of the Holy Spirit. And our lesson today is, whose acts are they? And today is part one of a two-part introduction to the book of Acts. We're going to set a proper foundation about what's going in the book of Acts. We're going to look at some of the big themes, how we should read it, and so on and so forth, before we actually get into the detail. All right. Um, firstly, there is no debate about who the author is of the book of Acts. It is well accepted that Luke, the physician and companion of Paul, wrote the book of Acts. Um, he's also the only Gentile writer in the Bible. And interestingly, although he was a Gentile, he was absolutely steeped in the Old Testament. As we work through the book of Acts and you know, study out the different sermons and speeches that were given, and there are many of them, we see that they all start with God's story in the Old Testament. And although Luke was a Gentile, he realized the importance of witnessing from a firm grounding in the Old Testament. And there's an important lesson for us in that. You know, we are Gentiles, right? And it's so easy as Gentiles to think that, you know, the Old Testament is Jewish history. That's for the Jews. I'm more interested in reading the Bible from Matthew. That's what's most relevant to us. 
Our witness is not effective if we do not understand and tell God's story, starting from Genesis and ending in Revelation. And we see that in the book of Acts, witnessing, testifying about Jesus, that he is the promised Messiah, the Lord and Savior of the world, starts with a good understanding of the Hebraic roots of our faith. As Christians, our roots are in Judaism, proudly so. So to witness effectively, we need to know God's story covering the entire Bible. The Old Testament is about Jesus as much as the New Testament is about Jesus. Are we not clear when the book of Acts was, was written? Bible scholars differ on this. Dates are given anywhere between 60 AD and 1995 AD. For what it's worth, um, I find the arguments for a date in the early 60s uh, the most convincing. That would explain why the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome under house arrest. Uh, I believe that if, if it was written after the death of Paul in about 64-65 AD, that Luke probably would have referred to that. But amen, that's not important. We don't have to get bogged down about when it was written. Uh, that's, not, not, that's not very important, but what is important is that Acts is really the gospel of Luke continued. It is the sequel to the gospel of Luke, and it should be read together with the gospel of Luke. Now, as we read in verse 1, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. You know, Luke is volume 1, and Acts is volume 2 of the ongoing, continuing story of God establishing his kingdom through Jesus, using the apostles and the early church. It is believed that Luke and Acts were written as separate documents because they both, they couldn't both fit on one scroll. Okay, so Luke wrote, you know, the Gospel of Luke on one scroll, he wrote the book of Acts on another scroll, and in the early church the scrolls were connected. They would have been read together. But then, in the you know, after a few centuries, the early church leaders, when they got together and tried to figure out with much prayer and fasting and guided by the Holy Spirit what should be canonized, what should be put into our Bible and the order of the different books, they decided to split uh, Luke and Acts by the book of John, by the Gospel of John. Okay? Uh, in their wisdom, they thought that was best. You know, John is separate from the other three Gospels. It's kind of very different. And then it was believed and thought that Acts is actually a good introduction, a good transition to the letters of Paul. So that's how in our Bible uh, we don't find Acts following on directly after Luke. But the two, the two have this, essentially the same theme and it's an ongoing story. Now because, because of that, the fact that Acts is a continuation of Luke, they do have the same main theme. Does a memory test for those of you who have been around. Okay. Uh, a few years ago, we taught through the Gospel of Luke. You guys might remember. It was about a 20, 25 part less, a series. Can you remember what name we gave to that series on the Gospel of Luke? Anybody? Come on. Salvation for all. Amen. Thanks, Dorit. Now, if I was in your position, I probably would have forgotten that, even though I taught the series mainly. Salvation for all. You know, the main theme in Luke is that Jesus offers salvation 
to everyone. He was concerned about everyone, including, including the wealthy. Right? We mustn't think that Jesus was only focused on, on the poor and the marginalized. Now, the example of the rich young, young ruler, that story shows us that Jesus was concerned even about the wealthy. But he showed special favor to the poor, the outcasts, the vulnerable in society. And that would have included women, it would have included what the Jewish leaders regarded as sinners, like tax collectors, and those with infectious diseases who were kind of shoved out of society. Now, the people who the religious leaders rejected, Jesus embraced. Yet the ministry of Jesus was actually focused on the Jews. Um, He himself said things like, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. You read about that in Matthew 15. When Jesus sent out his disciples two by two, you know, to kind of rehearse the announcing of the kingdom, he gave them specific instructions. He said, don't go amongst the Gentiles, don't go into Samaritan towns, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. That's in Matthew 10. You know, the good news of the kingdom was announced, was proclaimed by Jesus primarily to the Jews and by his disciples during his time on earth. Now, Jesus did not ignore Gentiles in distress. You know, his compassion always led him you know, to interact and to heal and to love everybody, including Gentiles. But there's no doubt that his primary focus was on, was on the nation of Israel. So Jesus, Jesus demonstrated that salvation was for all in a vertical sense. Do you get that? You know, people from all social uh, statuses and economic positions within the nation of Israel. And I think we, you know, I just want to make it clear, it's not that Jesus was unconcerned about the Gentiles. On the contrary, you know, Jesus ministered to the Jews for the benefit of the Gentiles. Now the concern of Jesus was to get Israel back to the point where they, where they could be the light of the world that they were meant to be. You know, to show the world the love of God and the character of God and to encourage and to be a light to the Gentiles to be part of this. But the primary focus of Jesus was definitely on the Jews. But then in Acts, and this is the big change, then in Acts we see the gospel spreading horizontally. In Acts we see that the salvation is for all, extending outside of Jerusalem, outside of the Jewish nation, spreading geographically, spreading to all nations. But the theme is still the same, salvation for all. You know, we see the gospel spreading horizontally from Jerusalem uh, through Judea and Samaria into Asia, into Europe, and even into Africa. Salvation is indeed available for all people, regardless of social status, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of language, regardless of physical location. Salvation is for all. Amen. But that leads us then to the question, whose acts? Are they? We've just read here. Uh, let me just jump to verse 2. Until the day he was taken up to heaven. Uh, sorry, no, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So the Gospel of Luke covered what Jesus taught during his ministry until the ascension. In other words, his complete life on earth. But Luke refers that to the beginning of his work. So Acts then is a continuation of the work of Jesus. 
That was the beginning. Acts is a continuation of the work of Jesus. Now the Acts have been referred to as the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and both of those statements are correct, but it is more correct to read the book of Acts as the Acts of Jesus himself. Acts are the continuing work, the continuing doing and teaching of Jesus through the Holy Spirit-empowered apostles. So Acts describes the ongoing acts of Jesus performed by the Holy Spirit working through the apostles and the early church. And here's a really important thing. The ongoing acts of Jesus, his doing and his teaching continues through us. In fact, in every generation, through every century, we see Jesus continuing his work through the church. Jesus continuing his ministry through spirit-powered, spirit-empowered disciples. And that is our calling. What an honor, what a privilege. Don't you guys, what an honor that we continue the very mission of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit in community. Verse 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This, the, the occasion he's speaking, to, uh, speaking about here, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, uh, on one occasion while he was eating with them. This refers to an, an event in Luke 24, the resurrected Jesus appeared to his disciples, Remember, he explained to them that everything in the Old Testament was actually about him, he said. And their eyes were opened. And suddenly they realized, yes, we get it. Then he says to them, do not leave Jerusalem. He says, wait. Jesus says to them, don't do anything. Just wait. Clearly, Jesus didn't have full confidence in his disciples yet, did he? Right? And rightly so, because if you look at the disciples... You know, in the Gospels, this was, you know, they were a ragtag gang. Very ordinary men. Often fearful, often skeptical. You know, they bicker about which one of them would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Um, they fall asleep when Jesus needs them the most. They run away when Jesus is arrested and crucified. They deny him, that they even knew him, certainly Peter. And there's a small group of disciples who seem to go back to their fishing career. Even after, even after encountering the resurrected Jesus. This is not the most reliable bunch of guys. Okay. And Jesus knew that. But the amazing thing as we turn the chapter, and we get into chapter 2 in particular, we will see this all change. Receiving the Spirit changed everything. This very ordinary ragtag bunch of pretty useless guys end up being world changers when they received the Spirit. They dramatically changed from skeptical cowards to a group of men who changed the world. And it's worth remembering that Jesus himself only started his ministry after his baptism and receiving the Spirit. The first miracle of Jesus is recorded only after that. 
And I think the lesson for us, if we just kind of extend the trajectory to us, is let us not make the mistake of thinking that we can do mission effectively without the Holy Spirit active in us. We are no different to the first disciples, if you think about it. Now we laugh about them, but without the Holy Spirit, we are self-seeking. We are fearful, and we lack faith without the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. We see that in addition to all the other faults, the disciples still had a faulty worldview. They placed their hope in Jesus being a king like King David. Uh, You know who would restore the fortunes of Israel, starting with leading them to victory over their Roman oppressors. That was still their mindset, their paradigm, their worldview. Hence their question to Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now Jesus had taught extensively on the kingdom of God. And yet they asked him about the kingdom of Israel. They were still looking at the kingdom of God through their nationalistic lenses. Um, you know, they were thinking still in very Jewish terms. They had little concern for global mission and taking the good news of, of Jesus to the world. It was all about Israel still to them. And Jesus gently rebukes them. You know, they clearly still don't understand the nature of the kingdom of God. And he tells them that only God knows the timing when his kingdom will come fully on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is patient with them. He knows that they will finally get it when they receive the Spirit who would lead them into all truth. And we see that happening. Immediately they receive the Spirit. They get it. You know, the lesson for us is that kingdom values are in conflict. They are in collision with secular values. Now, it's easy for us to make the same mistake as the apostles did. Know that we treat the work of God as something that must imitate uh, the way the world works. You know, that should imitate and mimic the ways of the world. When in fact the kingdom of God is in total opposition to the ways of mankind, the disciples had a very earthly view, a very worldly view of the kingdom of God until they received the spirit of discernment and the spirit of truth. And we too must allow the Spirit to, to help us to discern properly. Now, to help us to understand God's amazing plan. You know, he's the big picture of God. And how his kingdom is available and his salvation through his kingdom is available to all. You know, Paul tell, writes in Romans 12, he encourages us to no longer conform to the patterns of the world, he says but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The transformation starts, church, with our thinking and our worldview. If we try to be disciples still with a secular worldly worldview and paradigm, we just, we're just not in sync with the Spirit. We're not walking in step with the Spirit and with God's will. We've got to allow God through His Spirit to fundamentally change the way we view the world and God's place in it. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The whole outline of the book of Acts, the continuing mission of Jesus through his Spirit-empowered church is summarized in this verse. You know, in volume 1, the Gospel of Luke, there is movement towards Jerusalem. 
Now, Jesus starts his ministry up in Galilee, and then there's a slow movement of Jesus and his disciples through the countryside of Judea, ending in Jerusalem. And the Gospel of Luke comes to a climax, a crescendo in Jerusalem with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But then in volume 2, the book of Acts, the movement is reversed. The Gospel is proclaimed first in Jerusalem, and then spreads through Judea and Samaria into Asia, Europe, and even Africa, to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the known world at the time. And the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome. I mean, the capital of the world at the time. The center of world power. At the doorstep of Caesar himself. Now, the gospel spread from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth in one generation. And this amazing growth, this phenomenal growth, just demonstrates God's determination, God's determination to take the good news of, of his kingdom to the entire world. Now, God is not satisfied until multitudes of people from all nations, tribes and languages worship him on his throne. You read about that in Revelation 7 verse 9. And the key to reading Acts is to recognize this movement of the gospel from Jerusalem progressively spreading out to the ends of the earth. And Acts is actually written in six sections. don't want to get too technical here, but it does help to, to recognize where you are in the movement when you read the book of Acts. So there are six sections, and the end of each section is summarized. It is signaled and summarized by, by statements by Luke, just summarizing what was going on before he takes off in a new direction. And the expansion, you know, from one, the change from one section to another is sometimes a geographical expansion, it's sometimes an ethnic expansion to the Gentiles, and it's sometimes both. So I'll summarize that in this, in this table. The first section ends in chapter 6 verse 7. The first section is all about the gospel spreading to the Jews in Jerusalem. And we can see the summary statement there before, you know, before Luke introduces the next movement. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Then section 2 ends in chapter 9 verse 31 and it describes, this is the story of the gospel spreading Geographically, this is the first geographical spread of the gospel uh, to the Jews and kind of the half-Jews in, in Samaria. And we can see again that there's a summary statement just explaining how the church enjoyed a time of peace and how it, and how it grew. And then the third section is the first expansion, describes the first expansion of the gospel to the Gentiles. And in this section we have the first Gentile Cornelius converted. And it also describes the conversion of Paul. And in the fourth section, it's the story of the expansion of the gospel to the Gentiles in Asia. A big geographical expansion. And from here onwards, the attention shifts towards Paul. Until now, the attention has been on Peter, but from now onwards in the book of Acts, the attention is on Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles. And then in section 5, there is this leap of the gospel from Asia to Europe. 
And once again, the summary statement. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. That then kickstarts or introduces us one to the, us to the sixth and final section from chapter 19 to the end of Acts. And this describes the, the journey of Paul to Rome and ends with Paul uh, under house arrest in Rome. And we read there the final verse, and we're going to dig into it a bit more in a moment. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. We will be working through the book of Acts for at least a year. And as we work through the book, it is... That's a nervous laugh. Thanks for the encouragement, church. Might even be two years, right? The spirit might lead. But we're going to be working thoroughly through the book of Acts. And we might stay in one section for three months, okay? But it's important that we understand what's going on. And understanding how the gospel is spreading and the point that Luke wants to make, we will see differences in the speeches, how, how the gospel is shared with the Jews and how it's shared with the Gentiles. But Luke does not compromise on always explaining God's story in its entirety. Even to the Gentiles, he makes it very clear that this is the God of the, God, God of the Old Testament working here. The God of the Old Testament is the same God that is now taking his kingdom to the world. Uh, I do hope that little, that nervous laugh was actually encouragement, right? <laughs> okay, but let's end up here in the, right at the end of the book of Acts. We'll end up here today. And I'm just starting the verse before, uh, the one we've just read. Uh, For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house, under house arrest, and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Okay, as I said, Paul is now under house arrest. He's waiting to face trial and uh, he kind of parks off and he thinks, man, the ministry's come to an end. This is the end of it, right? No, right? We know that he continues. He continues to welcome everybody who came to see him and to proclaim the kingdom of God. And that word all is really important. This is salvation for all. Paul welcomed all. He shared his witness with all who were interested. And just before this, there's a section that describes when Paul arrived in Rome, he didn't delay at all. He immediately set up a meeting with the Jewish leaders. And for a day, he debated with the Jewish leaders in Rome. And he tried to convince them that Jesus was in fact the promised Messiah. And that Jesus was in fact resurrected and he rules over the universe on the right hand of God as Lord. But then, you know, while, while Paul was, was under house arrest, he reached out to Jews and Gentiles. He shared his witness with men and women, with slave and free. Paul understood that salvation was for all. And then the lesson for us, church, is, is obvious. And it's something we need to continually remind ourselves of. We must witness to all people. Um, not just people who are like us. Now, God's church is designed to be a family of all nations, of all tribes, of all cultures, of all languages. This, more than anything else, sets us apart as the true people of God. Now, in a country and in a world that is increasingly divided along tribal and ethnic lines, this is the hope. 
in this room is, is the hope for the world. Sure. Now, a genuine family of all nations. We put our differences aside. Yeah, we work through things, but we are united in the mission of God to proclaim and witness for Jesus and to take the gospel to the world. You know, we can see here though that Paul, sorry, Luke ends the story very abruptly. Now, the first time I, I read Acts, I thought, is there, is there another sequel? You know, I mean, what, you know, what happened? What happened to Paul? Was he killed? How effective was his, was his witness? What happened after Rome? How was the gospel taken to the rest of the world and to Europe? But Luke is a very, very deliberate writer. He's a very clever man, and especially empowered by the Spirit, he puts together a book that is amazing. And there is this ending for a good reason. You know, where Luke abruptly ends the story, we must take it up. He writes us into the story, so to speak. We get to write the next chapter. We get to write the sequel. You know, over centuries and generations, many chapters have been written about how the gospel of Jesus has been taken to the world, following up from the story. Now, we must take up and write the next chapter, powerfully witnessing for Jesus as we boldly proclaim the kingdom of of God in Port Elizabeth, and East London, and beyond. You know, we will read about, in the next year or so, we will read about the acts of Jesus through his spirit-empowered, spirit-filled followers in the early church. We will read about the movement of the gospel. We will read about church challenges, trials, vindications and victories. And we will see the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus working powerfully throughout this time. And you know, getting back to my Transdavion story I, I started with, you know, when I kind of, I, I got through and I survived and persevered through this intense cramping because I had memory. Remembering that, been there, done that, I got through it. And this time, I'm going to get through it and I'm going to finish Memory, as I said, is powerful. And I like to approach Acts in that way. Acts is a collective church memory that we can hold on to, you know, to help us to persevere in our faith and to finish the Christian race. But not only to finish the Christian race, to be effective witnesses for Christ. Now, when we face challenges and difficulties, when we are not bold to share the gospel, when we doubt that Jesus can actually use us to continue his mission and to use our church, we can read the book of Acts as a collective church memory. We, through our brothers and sisters, 2,000 years ago, have got through those things. You know, so as we read through this book, Luke invites us to see that their movement of the gospel, their spreading of the gospel, is our movement and our spreading of the gospel. Their challenges and trials are our challenges and trials. Their victories and vindications are our victories and vindications. Their story is God's story and so it is our story too. Now I want to conclude with this. You know, churches sometimes find themselves coming up with developing a vision statement or a mission statement. 
Guys ever done that? We've done that as a church as well. And it's always a bit of an uncomfortable process. I now understand why it is an uncomfortable process. And I'll leave you with this statement to meditate on this week in preparing, helping us to prepare our hearts for, for the series on Acts. God does not have a mission for his church. God has a church for his mission. We are here for the mission of God. We are here to continue the teachings and the doings of Jesus. God's mission is God's mission. He has created his church for his glory, his vision, his mission, his purpose. It's never about us. You know, church is all about the mission of God. You know, so Acts tells the story of the church that God established for his mission to restore his relationship with fallen, sinful human beings. And in Acts we see God's church fulfilling God's mission with phenomenal success, making tens of thousands of disciples of Jesus, starting with a ragtag bunch of 120 disciples, starting with this ragtag bunch of flawed people. God gave them the Spirit, and within one generation, they had evangelized the known world. And we don't know how many disciples there were, estimates are from tens of thousands to a couple of hundred thousand, but this is phenomenal growth without even knowing the exact number. And they did it against all the odds. How did this growth happen? Apart from being the work of the Holy Spirit, what other elements were in place? What did the Holy Spirit use to achieve this phenomenal growth? Starting in Jerusalem, through Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what lessons can we apply to our church today? Well, if you'd like to know the answers to those questions, please come back next Sunday and be around for the next year and a half. Amen. Thank you, church.